I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. I am so excited about today's show. We have Dr. Ray Gorindi coming on the show a little bit later to talk about discipline, about how to raise the kinds of kids that you pray that you will have, right? Uh, and so we, we're in the midst of Easter. It's a time of celebration. We're, we're celebrating the development of our life from, from uh, sin and death into resurrection and, and holiness. We talked last week with Chuck Neff, the uh, the host of The Inner Life on the Relevant Radio Network. Uh, you can catch that episode. He talked about uh, his own spiritual development, how we grow in spiritual development now through the use of spiritual directors, through the use of learning one another's stories. He also talked about how we grow in our marriages. You can catch that over on OutsideTheWalls.com and hear the archive of that episode. And today we're going, you know, we went from personal development to marital development. Now we're going to talk about family development with with uh, children. And I... Um, I have a little bit of experience in this realm. I have, uh, we're, we're expecting our seventh child, and the oldest is, uh, is nine. So I have a little bit of experience with the looks that we get when we go to the grocery store. As you walk in the door, all eyes turn, and they're like, wow, that's, a, that's like a wave, a mass of, of children. They look at their watches, and they think, is it Black Friday, and I'm about to get trampled? I didn't even, I didn't even realize. Uh, and so... I could talk to you all about uh, my family experiences at the store, but let's be honest, I'm not the one who goes there most often. So I have brought in studio my beloved, darling wife, Kristen. Uh, she's sitting here right at the microphone, and we're going to talk about what it takes to go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's this new thing, uh, in our area at least, where you can do your shopping online and... Uh, and they'll gather it up, and then you just go and and they bring it to your car. That has been very helpful. Yes, going to the store hasn't been bad. Our right. kids are well behaved. We do fine, but it is much more convenient to just pull up. Everybody stays in their car seats, and they talk to the person loading the groceries in the car, and that's it. You drive away. <laughs> then we only have one shocked person, <laughs> <laughs> right? Who who always takes up the little baggies of treats and just says, "You just take them all." <laughs> <laughs> so, but you still, even even with that uh, wonderful convenience, there are still times you have to go into the store. We we most certainly yes. You go to the bread. We, we 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 have so many children that we go to the bread store. We you don't just buy bread at the grocery store because that that costs too much. So you go to the bread store and then when you get your you get your um your produce somewhere else. Mm -hmm. There are other times you go on so explain to us all <laughs> what it's like with uh getting the kids out of the car, putting the right ones in the right places, uh finding a shopping cart that's big enough. <laughs> right. Not for the stuff that's going in it, but for the children that need to sit in it. Just walk us through this whole process of what it takes to go to the store and and what your experience is outside of just shopping. Well, getting in and out of the car, we've got down to a pretty good science. You know, the older ones know which kid they have to unbuckle from the bigger car seats. And then they all get out and they hold hands. And I usually tell them, depending on where we parked, you come around the front of the car, you come around the back of the car, make sure they're safe and all that. And so then we just, we 
you know, we call our kids ducks because <laughs> when you're walking into a store and they're all trailing behind you, but you're in a parking lot, so everybody has to be holding hands. You know, it, it's quite a an entourage going into the store. So then we find a cart and usually some stores have those wonderful carts that have three spots for a kid to sit and that mm-hmm. keeps half of them contained, which is great. <laughs> um, but not all stores have that. So then it's right. you two hold on to this side of the cart, you two hold on to that side of the cart and do not let go. And which we makes try it, and stay which, in the smallest area possible. Which makes it awful when I go to the store with you because I push the cart and I don't like the extra drag, but they're trained. <laughs> I'm supposed to grab onto the cart. I'm like, no, you go grab onto your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Which works too. <laughs> so that that's the logistics. Right. So then there's the other people <laughs> in the store, which for the most part, I feel like we encounter people of pretty good will that will stick their feet in their mouth, but they don't try to. They're genuinely surprised and interested in this spectacle (laughs) in front of them and and they have questions um there are occasionally those people that you give you those looks from across the store they don't generally get too close and thank goodness they don't come up and talk to me Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that because i know that there are some families that deal with the more rude comments in person thankfully i have not had to deal with that much um Mostly it's, oh, you've got your hands full. And, you know, we go shopping in the middle of the day, which helps as well, because it's mostly older people at the store that look and say, oh, I had five or, oh, I wish I had more or, oh, how blessed you are. And those are those are lovely comments. Um, But there's the you've got your hands full. And uh, are they all yours? That's a comment I get quite a bit, which I think is kind of funny because it's like, who goes to the store with extra kids just for the fun of it? (laughs) Um, Yes, they are all mine. We had one interesting the other day. We went to the store. We were together. And uh, we were asking for help from some of the employees of the store. And they said, uh, so which ones are yours and which ones are hers? Yeah, that was a new one. That was interesting. Um, I I wanted to say, well, these six are hers and these six over here are mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. So, uh, here, w- let's say we're let's skip the store now. You, you've gone through the checkout. The children have been well behaved, and everyone's shocked by that. We go. We unload the the groceries. Now it's time. On that rare occasion, we go out. We're going to go out to eat, and there is this this look on the faces of the people in the restaurant akin to getting on an airplane with that many people. Right? <laughs> They're like, oh, my night's ruined. <laughs> well, it was funny. We went to uh, Cracker Barrel. We were on our way back on a, uh, a road trip that we were taking. And, you know, we wanted to get out of the car, but we didn't want it to be too long. So I ran in to ask, how long is the wait for a party of eight? Mm-hmm. You know, and she was very kind and polite. Oh, there's no wait at all for a party of eight. Just come on in. I said, okay. <laughs> and so then I came in and she recognized that I had asked about eight and realized that six of those eight <laughs> were nine and under. And her, she was, she tried her best to be <laughs> very, uh, the same politeness that she was before. And she was still very polite, but. But you could tell it was effort. There was shock. Yes. <laughs> involved now. Well, I, I specifically recall there was uh, a young family. Uh, just husband and wife, and I think just one young. I toddler. think it was just one. Yes, and uh, and there was this this look like, oh, well, at least people aren't going to be staring at us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were 
uh, a little shocked, but they were also probably pretty glad that they weren't going to be the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> and their their child was pretty vocal, and um, it, I interacted just a little bit uh, in that. And I, I don't even remember what I said. I'm fairly outgoing and say the first thing that comes fairly? to my mind without <laughs> without much forethought or filter. Uh, but just to, just little things. But it, it was amazing that as they were leaving by the end of it, I mean, everyone's position changes as they watch us because the children are very respectful. They're very well behaved. And uh, this specific guy said, uh, as he was walking out, he leaned over and said, when you write a parenting book, let me know and I'll be the first to buy it. <laughs> and I don't have... I don't have a parenting book. I've, I've thought about doing a parenting book, but here's the thing. That's only my own experience. Now, granted, my own experience seems to be a little bit broader than a lot of families, but I have a certain group of children who have a certain living experience of parents who live in a, a certain uh, location with certain uh, life happening around them. So, I can speak to our experience, but it's almost going to be more, if I, if I actually get around to doing this, it's almost going to be more of a, a comedy book of, well, this is how we did it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for us. It worked so, so, <laughs> so far, far. So far, so good. Um, but we, I don't have the broader experience. I don't have any, any of the extra credentials. And so I'm really excited about today's show uh, with Dr. Ray Garindi because, you know, Kristen and I, we can tell you our story. Uh, but that's all it is right now. It's it's our story of how we have experienced life with this many kids. Dr. Ray Garendi, he's adopted. He and his wife have adopted 10 children, and he's also a clinical psychologist. So he's going to come in, and he's going to talk to us about the whole range. Now, his kids are already grown, right? He's He's gone through the whole parenting experiment. He's helped other people through their parenting experiment, and... Uh, and seems to have his head screwed on straight. It seems so, yes. He's got uh, several books. He's got one book called Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime. The one that's brand new out that we're going to talk about today is a book entitled Advice Worth Ignoring. And if you only buy one parenting book in the whole of your life, buy this one. Buy this one. Because it basically says, listen, everyone's got their opinion about... Uh, disciplining your child and raising your child. And some of those ideas are worth listening to and worth picking up. But a lot of these ideas are really worth ignoring. They're not worth the paper they're printed on. The research is not solid. Make several assumptions. So we're going to talk to him just after this break. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to talk with Dr. Ray Garendi about his brand new book called Advice Worth Ignoring. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Why don't you join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And tell me about a time when you had an interesting outing, whether at the store or a restaurant, with your children. Tell me about a time you had an interesting outing with your children over on social media. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
here where we explore the foundations and implications of faith on daily life. And boy, do we have a show for you today. We're talking about raising children, uh, specifically, how do we get our children to behave in such a way that we can take them in public without having to hide our faces in shame? And to uh, to join us and help us to explore that today is Dr. Ray Gurendi, uh, psychologist, author, and uh, all-around funny guy, uh, probably because he had to parent 10 children himself. Uh, Dr. Ray, thanks for being here today. Timothy, my advice, the only foolproof tactic I have seen that enables you to take children out in public without being embarrassed, you got two options. Mm -hmm. One, you only take out the one that you can show off. That's it. <laughs> of my ten children, I think I had two that I could take out in public. That's it. Yeah. Or, or you get a parent substitute. Somebody else that takes them out, you stay back about 15 feet. If they're doing okay, then you go up and say, well, they're really my kids. <laughs> if they're not, you, you, you sleep further back. Well, I have a third method, uh, Dr. Yeah. Ray. My third method is I'm just not easily embarrassed. Well, we're guys. You know, and the way I dress, my wife says, the way you're dressed, Ray, no kid is going to actually embarrass you if you're willing to go out looking like that. <laughs> So uh, we're talking about your new book. You've got a, a, a great new book called Advice Worth Ignoring, uh, which which I'm going to echo the sentiments of Jen Fjordweiler. If you only read one parenting book, she said this year, I say ever, if you only read one parenting book, this is the book you need to pick up. Because we as parents live in fear. It's either going to be fear of the children and whether we're treating them right, or if we feel like we've got a good handle on parenting, there's the fear of of the community at large and how they are uh, perceiving us, not so much of whether they're going to judge us, but whether or not they're going to you know, call in the, the reinforcements against us. So talk a little bit about where this book came from and, uh, and where you see it going for parents. Jim, I have been shrinking... For a long time. I used to be like 6'9". <laughs> and I have noticed over and over, thousands of times, that parents do not have the authority, the confidence, the will, the stamina that I believe parents of most other generations have had, or most other cultures. Mm -hmm. In the last two generations, you have seen the onslaught of the experts and their theories and their ideas on how to raise well-adjusted children. The problem is, many of these theories sound great on paper. They don't work real well in real life with real kids. Many of the experts, I, I, I use this example, Tim. Your audience listening to you right now, I'm very confident in asserting that the experts do not think like your audience does. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a small example. You go to the computer and you type in child self-esteem search. Last time I looked, there was 31 million options mm -hmm. because the experts believe that self-esteem is the preeminent moral virtue. For most of your parents, humility 
is a much more important virtue than self-esteem. Right. When was the last time you ever heard an expert talking about humility? Uh, never. I've not ever heard it. Never. Well, unless That's we count exactly you right. and you bring it up in your book. So. That's exactly right. And so I've realized that not only have the experts, I believe, as a group, messed up parents badly with their ideas and their notions and their theories and their threats that if you don't do it this way, your kid's going to be on Springer for a whole week. <laughs> not, not only have they done that, but, but parents like those who listen to you try very, very hard to raise kids that love God. Right. These, these parents feel assaulted by the dominant mindset out there by many, many people. I'll give you a small example, very small example. I had a mom say to me one time, her daughters were at a pool party. Mm -hmm. The hostess of the party said, it's getting dark. Could you everybody get your kids out of the pool? All the parents went to the edge of the pool and started the aqua negotiating, <laughs> trying to get the kids out. This mom said, I looked at my two children. I caught their eye. I motioned with my hands. Mm -hmm. Come on out now. My two children got out without a word, walked over, and started drying off. Yep. The mother said, we were the talk of the party after that. <laughs> what do you think, Timothy, what do you think the talk was? Well, there's one of two things. It's either how in the world did you get your children to do that, or uh, I can't believe that you're so controlling. <laughs> You got it right on the ladder. Yep. We wonder what you must do to put that kind of fear in these children at home. Yep. You so, in other words, a mother who had quiet, loving authority, she didn't argue with the kids, she made her point, was viewed as a troglodyte, a Neanderthal, mm -hmm. instead of being admired. Right. Uh, Dr. Ray, we're expecting our seventh child right now. And the way we look at it is that we're responsible not for raising a three-year-old or a, or a nine-year-old, but we're responsible for raising a 30-year-old who just hasn't gotten there yet. How are they going to interact with the world if they can't take direction and, and submit humbly, uh, not, in a, not in a downtrodden kind of way, but recognizing their place in the fabric of the family and later in the fabric of society? People will say to me, can you be too strict because this is an accusation that is thrown at strong, loving, faith-filled parents? You're too strict. Your standards are too high. Your kids are going to rebel. Mm -hmm. My response to that is that it is very hard to be too strict in a loving home. Mm -hmm. Example. Well, you know, sweetheart, there's a lot of sewage on TV, and I really wish you wouldn't watch any of it. But I'll tell you what. I don't want to be too strict. So I'm going to let you watch one R-rated movie as a nine-year-old and uh, MTV for two hours a week because I just don't want to be too strict. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I really wish you wouldn't mistreat your brother, but that, that's kind of a standard that's too high. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to allow you to kick him three times a week and to cuss at him twice because I don't want to be too strict. Right. You see what I mean? Anybody who has the standard is accused of being too strict. 
Let's talk about this. You brought this up on your Facebook recently, the idea that people love the outcome of seeing well-adjusted children, but the whole idea of a standard uh, is something that that seems appalling to a great uh, portion of, of the culture. Part of that is because the experts as a group do not like discipline. Their view is that children are reasonable creatures. You should be able to explain, set up win-win scenarios, use active listening with iMessages and the proper sticker system, and the child, of course, will agree and go along with your idea of parenthood. Which I find odd because there's another segment of child development that recognizes that young children think concretely and cannot be reasoned with in, a, in, a, in an abstract kind of a way. That is true, which is partly why so many parents are confused. Because not only are there just literally thousands of pages coming out every year on the proper way to parent, but these thousands of pages don't agree. They've all got their own ideas and their own notions, and Lord help you if you don't follow these because you could risk all kinds of psychological ill effects down the road, and you don't even know when it's happening because it's inside their head. Mm-hmm. Well, and you bring this up in the book as well, this idea, Dr. Ray, that um, if I don't do something now, something bad will happen later, uh, as if we are borrowing against the future. Uh, How is a parent to combat that? I tell parents, you are the kindest, most gentle teacher your child will ever have. If you don't discipline now in a strong, loving way, you are automatically, no question, turning it over to people who do not love your child like you do a judge, a landlord, an army sergeant, a police officer, a parole officer. Hey, Timothy, I shudder at this next one. A wife. You know, somebody's going to teach them. Mm -hmm. And, And if we don't do it because we're tired or we feel guilty or we're afraid they won't like us or we're afraid of making psychological mistakes, then automatically that child is going to crash up against the world and the world hurts. I like to say wherever our expectations differ from reality, uh, the result is frustration. And maybe that's going to be the case with you parenting, but if we don't discipline, it's certainly going to be the case with our children later in life where they have these expectations that have been given to them by the experts, by the way that we've parented, that can't be met in, in society. We're talking today with Dr. Ray Garendi, author of a brand new book called Advice Worth Ignoring talking about the experts and their parenting advice for you. Uh, I hope that this conversation gives you hope, gives you encouragement, and helps you to get a a path forward. We're going to continue this conversation just after the break with Dr. Ray. Uh, Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Why don't you come over and tell me about one of your parenting adventures. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with Dr. Ray Garendi, uh, an expert in a number of ways when it comes to parenting. First, he's an expert because he's had 10 of them, and, and uh, we presume has successfully gotten them mostly all the way through. Uh, and second, he is a psychologist who has a number of books that are written uh, to help you as you are parenting your children, to help them develop into godly young men and women. Uh, now, Dr. Ray, I, I've followed you for a little while. Uh, in, in the books that you've written, I've, I've watched you speak a couple of times, but I've recently come across you on Facebook, and you have these just three-minute, two-minute little videos, kind of viral stuff where you dive in to whatever the topic of the day happens to be with your usual short Italian guy uh, humorous anecdotal experience. So talk to us a little bit about your Facebook and your interactions you have there. For years, Timothy, I avoided Facebook. I thought, no, 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 no. I don't want to tell people what I'm having for lunch. Uh, you know that I've won the uh, Catholic Humility Award nine years in a row. And and Facebook, forget it. You, you go on Facebook, you really risk winning the Humility Award. And as a matter of fact, I was disqualified this year. However, however, I was convinced by a woman who manages the site. She said, Ray, we've got to get this stuff into the hands of parents to build up their confidence, their authority. I said, okay. Now, if you'll permit me, Jim. Please. Uh, can I brag a second? Brag away. All right. You know how people kind of fluff themselves up by talking about their kids' achievements? Well, we had something last night that, that I really want to share with your audience, and it, it just makes you glow inside as a parent. My son's parole officer said one of the nicest kids he has. <laughs> you know, you feel good when you hear that. You do. You know? Yeah. I, haven't, so I, I hope I didn't come across a little too pushy. No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't gotten that experience yet. We'll see if I am able to attain what you have done. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the parent who looks at the well-behaved child and says, I have tried, but my child is just too difficult. I don't know even where to begin to, to without being overly harsh, to be strict. How can you be strict and not harsh? How can you be loving and, and then create some kind of discipline if there is such a thing that makes my children behave like yours? Do you know one of the most overused adjectives in the parenting lexicon nowadays is strong-willed. Mm -hmm. That word, along with many of its uh, synonyms, difficult child, high-maintenance youngster, oppositional defiant child, seven-gone-on-seventeen child, that word is so overused because, Tim, I believe... In many respects, it reflects the loss of authority among parents. When the parent loses authority, in other words, the parent can't say, that's, that's me, you go stand in the corner, please, mm -hmm. and get cooperation without an argument, without a fight, without a brawl. That parent's lost authority. So when that happens, the child becomes very strong-willed with that parent. Christian parents, of all people, should realize that strong-willed child is redundant. Right. What is 
the message of Genesis. Fallen human nature. We are stiff-necked. So as a result, the average kid is going to resist a parent. If you got an easy one, you look up at God and you say, thank you for the mulligan round. I can play with this one for a little while, and you save the real kid till later. Oh, gracious. No, uh, we, we did not have that experience with our first one. Uh, but I, it came to the point where when our second one was born, we looked at her, and I thought something was broken because she was quiet. Like, something's got to be wrong. <laughs> well, you had Chucky first, Cujo, Cujo first, and then you got Chastity second. Mm-hmm. So how does a parent regain authority once, once the child has created this oppositional uh, normality, honestly? Once this child has begun behaving like a child, uh, how do you get them to behave like a respectful and, and uh, uh, attentive child? Several bullet points. One, discipline is not words. Discipline is action. Discipline is consequences. Discipline is limits enforced by results. The vast majority of parents talk way too much, way too much. They negotiate, they reason, they plead, they argue, they threaten, they nag, they re-re-re-re-re-re-re-remind. And this isn't in large part, it's, it's in large part because they've been told you're supposed to be able to talk children into behaving. Right. If that notion is false, then it's going to lead to frustration. That's the first thing. Discipline is action, not words. Second thing, when you levy a consequence, the hardest part for most parents is enforcing that consequence. The kid will argue. The kid will come out of the room 26 times. The kid will refuse to write, refuse to write the essay. The child will negotiate. The child will nag. I tell parents, all right, very simple technique. As soon as the child resists, whether it's going to the corner, whether it's putting your head down at the dining room table, whether it's giving me 50 sentences that says, I will not hit my brother just because he made me mad, whatever the consequence is that the parent chooses, as soon as the child refuses, they go on blackout. Mm-hmm. Blackout is complete cessation of every single perk and privilege until the parent gets the consequence, and then some that they asked for originally. Mm -hmm. That will restore one-time talk authority to the vast majority of parents very quickly, and with preschoolers, within a day. Right. Dr. Ray, you mentioned uh, earlier that discipline is not words, but I think one of the things that we miss as parents is that our words are important. And if our words come out and then have no effect, then we have cheapened our words. So if we say, if you do that one more time, you're going to get a discipline, and then we don't, then what we've taught our child now is that, well, mom didn't really mean it. Dad didn't really mean it. Or if we say, you know, we have to be really careful with our words, because if we say, okay, if you do this, we're not going to Disneyland, and then they do it again, are you really going to follow through with that? Uh, Or are you going to say, the things that I tell you I'm going to do in discipline, they're not really serious, so really you can do whatever you want? Well, now that you mentioned it, Timothy, I remember one time my daughter did something, and I told her, well, Hannah, now because you did that, we're not going to Disney World. 
Well, we weren't going to Disney World anyway, <laughs> but I figured I'd make up the consequence. You know, with my uh, 16-year-old son, I said, you know, because you talked to your mother that way, I brought back the red Corvette that I bought you for your graduation. So that's it for that. Uh, <laughs> seriously, people will say to me, Dr. Ray, why do you talk so much about discipline? And I say, well, because it is by far, by far, it dwarfs all others. <laughs> concern among parents who are loving, good people. Yeah, there's a lot of parents out there who are neglectful, who are erratic, who don't care what kind of kid they raise. But the people who listen to me, the people who listen to most experts, are trying. They want to do well. And those are the folks that struggle the most with discipline. They're very good at loving. They give lots of hugs and kisses. They compliment. They spend time. But when it comes time to discipline, they get frustrated because they talk too much or they don't follow through, or they have to get mad. Typically, the way it starts, Timothy, I ask you to do something. Okay, you either stall or you blow me off or you ignore me, so I ask you again. Oh, yeah, okay, so you argue with me or you blow me off. Now I start to yell. And uh, you, you, you say something back. In a minute, Mom, I'm going to do it. Don't go ballistic, Mom. Now I'm mad. Mm -hmm. Now I start to argue. And pretty soon, a simple request that happened six minutes ago has now become an all-out argument brawl. Simply because when I made my request, in my mind, I did not know what I was going to do when I got ignored. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, now the child knows if... I don't really have to pay attention until mom hits this note, and that's when she's really serious. I tell parents, if you have authority, strong, calm, confident authority, you don't have to discipline very often. Mm -hmm. Your words will be enough because you've established that you have authority. If I say to a child, please go to the corner, and the last 27 times, he didn't go to the corner. He got blacked out. Pretty soon, all I have to say is, please go to the corner. And he goes. Right. I don't have to yell anymore. I don't have to put consequences on him anymore. I don't have to threaten anymore. Please go to the corner. It's like the mom at the swimming pool who just kind of nodded with her hands. Mm-hmm. Well, the girls knew if they didn't get out, she was going to do something at home or she was going to say, the next time you get invited to a pool party, we don't go. Right. Well, if this sounds interesting to you, if you're looking for a way to discipline your children in love, if you're looking for a way for them to hear the words that you say and for those words to matter, I strongly encourage you go to drray.com, pick up this book, Advice Worth Ignoring, as well as telling you the advice worth ignoring. There's also plenty of good advice of how to implement this in your family. Again, that's drray.com. We've been talking with Dr. Ray Garendi. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on, on the road as you're driving. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Timothy, I appreciate it. Thank you. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And tell me a time that you embarrassed your children instead of the other way around. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications and foundations of our faith on our daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. I am so glad that you're here today as we are talking about raising children, specifically about discipline. We're talking with Dr. Ray Gorendi, author of the brand new book, uh, Advice Worth Ignoring, which you can get on drray.com. Dr. Ray, before I let you go, I had one more question. There are a lot of parents out there who they discipline well, but they're always, you know, you look over your shoulder because you know that if you let your kids play in the front yard someone, without standing there looking over them, someone's calling CPS. So how do, you, how do you get a parent to discipline well when they're always having to look over their shoulder? Never parent in fear. If you parent in fear over what someone might interpret that you're doing, you will lose the very thing that is helping you raise great kids. Yes, you can be cautious, recognizing the reality is oftentimes there is some busybody out there who is deciding you're not parenting appropriately. It's no longer a matter, Tim, of you being abusive. It's, it, it's in their mind you're not being appropriate. Mm-hmm. Many of my clients have been turned into children's services not because they were in any way neglectful or abusive, but because they did something that somebody thought was wrong. Now, fortunately, in most cases, the children's services folks recognize that. Mm-hmm. But I would say to folks, be somewhat cautious. If you're going to swat a bottom, don't necessarily swat it in full view of a whole bunch of people because they're going to, somebody there is going to think that's awful and terrible, and it's their duty socially to report you. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you, you, cannot, you cannot parent stepping on eggs. You just can't do it. So as the scripture says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Yeah. Pay attention, but but do the hard work. Dr. Ray, again, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. You're welcome, Jim. My pleasure. We've been talking today with Dr. Ray Garendi, author of the brand new book, Advice Worth Ignoring, How Tuning Out the Experts Can Make You a Better Parent. It's available today over at his website, drray.com. That's D-R-R-A-Y.com. Go there. You can also see the other books that he's written and connect with him on social media. See a lot of the the video presentations that he's done. It's a lot of humor, uh, but it's also a lot of solid content. Now, you know that this show, Outside the Walls, is about looking at the foundations of our faith and then from there, the implications of that faith on daily life. Now, today we spend a lot of time looking at the pragmatics and, and at the expressions of how faith works out, but we haven't really tied it back to faith a lot. We've just talked about it in terms of, hey, you need to be a good parent, and here are some ways you can do that. And as a clinical psychologist, Dr. Ray is more prone to look at those pragmatics uh, and how things work themselves out in actual daily life. But I want to take some time and tie it back to faith. Where does What does the faith say that we need to be good parents and, and that this is the way to be a good parent? Well, we're going to start by going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, where, where God is talking to his people and, and he says to them, he says, Hear, O Israel, you, you know this, you've heard this before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole being and with your whole strength. And now, we, we hear that a lot, and a lot of times we stop there. But he continues to talk to them, and he says, Take to heart these words, the law, take to heart these words which I command you today. Keep 
repeating them to your children. Recite them when you are at home and, and when you are away. When you lie down and when you rise up, bind them on your arm as a sign and let them be as a pendant on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so here we have God talking to the people and he's telling them, talk about the faith at every moment of life, in every juncture of life, when you rise up and when you lie down, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, when you when you go out and when you come in, you, you're putting them on the doorposts and gates so that everywhere you go, you're confronted with the law of God, that you're confronted with the, the reminder that we are God's people. At every moment, that's what we're called to. And so here he's talking in the Old Testament to the the children of Israel have just been given the commandments, and he's telling them, remember that you are mine. And we can get so caught up with the busyness of life, with our identities as uh, as Americans, as whether we live in the, in the urban areas or the suburban areas or the rural areas, we get these identities that we build up, uh, places that we belong— whether that be a political party, whether that be a, a football club, wh- whatever the case is, we have these things that we grab a hold of as our identity. And God is calling us. He called the people of Israel to this, and he calls us as Catholics to this, to find our identity primarily as children of God, primarily as children of God. And then and then we can begin having these associations in other places as well. And so here, as parents, we are called to instill this in our children. Uh, God realizes that we must, if, if the faith is to be continued on, we must teach it to our children, not pass it off to their RE teachers and hope that, that they get enough of it in the one hour a week that they go there, but to realize that we have that responsibility when, to talk to our children. It says, uh, teach these words to your children, recite them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you get up. So, so to put in their consciousness that we are God's children first, and then everything else springs out of that. Now, today we're doing the, our reading from church history, not out of the breviary like we normally do. Uh, I've opened up my Verbum library here, verbum.com. It's a great program that puts the, the wisdom of the church at your fingertips in cross-referenced hyperlinked forms, so it's great. But uh, today we're going to read out of this beautiful document on the family, Familiarius Consortio. It was put together by John Paul II after a synod on the family. And uh, I'm in the middle of reading this for the the Catholic Social Doctrine course that we talked about a few weeks ago uh, out of Catholic University of America. Uh, But I wanted to share some of that with you in light of this conversation on raising our children and on discipline. Uh, and, and so this comes out of Familiaris Consortio, paragraph 42 and 43. Uh, the whole document's worth reading. Take the time to do it. But let's together listen to this. The family is the first and vital cell of society. The family has vital and organic links with society since it is its foundation and nourishes it continually through its role of service to life. It is from the family that citizens come to birth, and it is within the family that they find the first school of social virtues that are the animating principle of the existence and development of society itself. Thus, far from being closed in on itself, the family is by nature and vocation open to other families and to society and undertakes its social role. 
The very experience of communion and sharing that would characterize the family's daily life represents its first and fundamental contribution to society. The relationships between the members of the family community are inspired and guided by the law of free giving. By respecting and fostering personal dignity and each and every one as the only basis for value, this free giving takes the form of heartfelt acceptance, encounter and dialogue, disinterested availability, generous service, and deep solidarity. Thus, the fostering of authentic and mature communication between persons within the family is the first and irreplaceable school of social life, and an example and stimulus for the broader community relationships marked by respect, justice, dialogue, and love. The family is thus the place of origin and the most effective means for humanizing and personalizing society. It makes an original contribution in depth to building up the world by making possible a life that is, properly speaking, human, in particular by guarding and transmitting virtues and values. In the family, the various generations come together and help one another to grow wiser and to harmonize personal rights with the other requirements of social living. Consequently, faced with a society that is running the risk of becoming more and more depersonalized and standardized and therefore inhuman and dehumanizing, with the negative results in many forms of escapism, the family possesses and continues still to release formidable energies capable of taking man out of his anonymity, keeping him conscious of his personal dignity, enriching him with deep humanity, and actively placing him in his uniqueness and unrepeatability within the fabric of society. The social role of the family certainly cannot stop short at procreation and education, even if this constitutes its primary and irreplaceable form of expression. Families, therefore, either singly or in association, can and should devote themselves to manifold social service activities, especially in favor of the poor, or at any rate for the benefit of all people in situations that cannot be reached by the public authorities' welfare organization. The social contribution of the family has an original character of its own, one that should be given greater recognition and more decisive encouragement, especially as the children grow up, and actually involving all of its members as much as possible. In particular, note must be taken of the ever greater importance in our society, of hospitality in all of its forms, from opening the door of one's home and still more of one's heart to the pleas of one's brothers and sisters. Today's reading comes from Familiaris Consortio, paragraphs 42 through 44. So scripture calls us to raise children who know they belong to God, and the church urges us on to raise children who will become saints. That's all the time we have this week. Next week, we're talking with Bishop-elect Daniel Muggenberg, who is leaving the Diocese of Tulsa and going to become an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle. It's a conversation you're not going to want to miss. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show. For showtimes and archives, visit OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.